My guest today is Kendall White. Kendall has been practicing since 2014. He does mostly criminal defense work, and he practices all over Middle Tennessee. On today's episode, we talk about difficult clients, the erosion of your constitutional right against unreasonable search and seizures, and uh, the difference between justice at your house and justice at juvenile court. I hope you enjoy. Sitting down today with Kendall White. Kendall is a lawyer in Tennessee and practicing all over Middle Tennessee, primarily in criminal defense law since 2014. Kendall, welcome. Thanks, Dana. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Glad to do it. Um, All right. So uh, you do mostly criminal defense work. Primarily, yes. All right. Uh, how did you decide to become a lawyer, and how did you decide to focus primarily on criminal defense? Well, I'm actually a second-generation lawyer. Uh, my father did uh, primarily federal plaintiff's work. Um, uh, about, geez, 10 so years ago, um, around 2008, I had a choice to make to either go to culinary school in France or to become a lawyer. Um, by that time, I was burnt out on working nights, holidays, and weekends, and culinary school would have just led to more of that. Yeah, that's so. I went to law school. I think I, I, I think uh, culinary school has a romantic appeal to it. It does. But the idea that you would actually be in the kitchen on Easter, uh, or Mother's Day, or Christmas, or whatever, uh, sort of undermines the romantic idea. Yeah, I mean, it's early hours, but. I love the work. I love to cook. I love to, uh, but you know, it's a good hobby now. Right. Yes. I, I've got, I've got some, some things are better left as hobbies. I've got some great skills on the, on the grill now. Okay. So, uh, after thinking about it, you decided to go to law school. I went to law school. All right. And then, uh, how did you settle, uh, on criminal defense or did that just sort of get dealt to you? So I was in a, I was financially strapped by the time I finished law school. I mean, and I had a young family. I needed to find money quickly. Actually, you've first, got you've got kids. I've got kids. How old are your kids? Uh, seven and almost two. Okay. So I had a one-year-old baby. I had a wife who couldn't really work. Um, I got sworn in. Um, Justice uh, Clark was very kind to swear me in. Uh, the next day, I had a suit on. I was in Nashville in uh, Casey Moreland's court getting my first appointments and turning and burning as much as I could. But I've always... I've always liked criminal defense. Um, uh, civil just doesn't just doesn't hold my attention. I mean, the money's better, can be better, but at the same time, I just you know it, I have to have special clients. I need clients who can make business decisions instead of emotional decisions. Okay. If I'm doing civil, criminal, yeah. I just I like taking on the establishment. I really do like I like <laughs> You're I like an to, anti-authoritarian kind of guy. I, not really. I just don't like corruption. I don't like bullying. I don't like people getting ground down by a system or leaned on yeah okay so sticking up for the sticking up for the little guy sometimes well not not necessarily about the client as much as it is about the whole concept i live here right right? yeah and i tell i tell cops and da's all the time do your job really well because i mean like i like living in a safe place with low crime and and only the only the truly uh, deserving going to jail. And I, and I think I've made three or four officers in this area better officers because of the way I've challenged their cases. And I've said, you just can't roll that. You've got to do this, this, and this. Some yeah. of them like make a list. And like literally the next time I hear him talking to the DA, I'm like, that guy's not getting a deal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like make my job. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously for any given client, I'm going to go to the mat. But in general, I want to live in an orderly 
well-policed, not overly policed, but well-policed area. Yeah. And, th- and if you teach if you teach a police officer who made a mistake what the mistake was and they don't make it again, good. Well, but make the mistake on a kid with a pot charge. Don't make the mistake on a murder or like somebody well, who's running around shooting people. Or yeah, something. the state – well, when someone's liberty is at stake, the stakes are very high. Yeah. That's that's always true. So there's nothing like trying a case when you're sitting next to someone who uh, whose liberty is at stake. Yeah, all, all else pales, in my opinion. And oh, I've done a bunch. All so. or all or nothing. Yeah, you know those are the fun ones. So people ask me, um, how do you represent someone that you know did it? And I'm like, that ain't the hard one. Mm-mm. The hard one is the person that didn't do it. Yeah. Do you ever you, you had that occasion where you've? I have had that uh, toe crippling fear that kept me up at night because I was like, "There's no way this guy did it." I actually had a murder, uh, murder, robbery, arson case down in Lawrence County uh, last year, and my client, not a good guy. He's probably the baddest man in Lawrence County. <laughs> all right, the most unpopular. The, well, a lot of people liked him, but everybody feared him. You know. Okay. Uh, he probably had done some bad things in the past that I didn't. He didn't tell me, but from talking to people in town, I've heard that he was he was not afraid so, to get his hands dirty. Let's okay, so that. people were not shocked. No, but but I get I, I look at the case and it was impossible for him to even have been there that night. So an alibi? Not even an alibi. Well, he didn't have an alibi because they waited to indict. So. He had no idea where he was that night. Okay. He just knew he wasn't there. Plus, him and the victim were really good friends. And I mean, so it didn't add up. It, it just didn't add up. Well, so we are going to trial. And I, I, if you ever need help on arson, let me know because I got the NFPA book. I got coached <laughs> up. I got, I got arson down now. All right. Um, we we're on our way to trial. We're in the pre-trial conference, and the DA stands up and dismisses char- all charges against my client and the other and one of the other co-defendants. And it's like, well, wait a second. This guy's been sitting in jail for 18, ye- 18 months waiting to go to trial. They they backdoor time served him. Well, I mean, it would have been murder, so he would have been. Right, but whatever. Yeah, but it's it's like, well, wait a second. Why did it take until the day of trial to figure out that you couldn't prosecute the case? I, I don't know. You right, know, that's, my, that's the frustrating thing. My assumption is that they just didn't really give a thorough examination of the evidence. They might have started interview, re-interviewing witnesses, and that was the other thing. The, witness, the primary witnesses were terrible. I talked to a former officer from that area, and uh, he goes, wait, they're basing the case on her statement? <laughs> right. So I think having now interviewed several former prosecutors for this podcast, uh, I think one of the things that sort of binds them is that they get – it's a difficult conversation to have with a victim's family – to go to a victim's family and say, hey, we can't make this case. Yeah. We got to let it go. Or we got to settle it for a fraction of what you think justice looks like. And I've represented a couple of victims, and, and I've been on the other side, you know, and I've seen them. Um, some of them are too terrified to take the stand. Sometimes there's a lot of shame involved. Um, and, and But the person has their rights, you know, and, and I understand that, but... I do know why sometimes that DA will come out with that low offer after a while because they're victims saying, I just, I can't do it. Yeah, but in this case, the one you're talking about, it sounds like they just weren't, they didn't do their homework particularly well. I mean, they're literally, they've got a jury out in the hall and... 
Well, it was the day before the jury. I mean, okay, was, well, still. But still, I mean, essentially, yes, they had a jury out in the hall. And and then they decided to just non-suit the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, did they ever re-indict? Nope. Just, that's it? They they kept one man on trial, and they, they tried him last spring. And? Uh, guilty. Huh. Okay. But but that's the fear of taking anything to trial is whether he did it or not. It's almost like you have to have good cause to show why he couldn't have done it or didn't do it instead of them being able to prove that he yeah, did Yeah, I think, um, I mean, jury instructions and civics 101 notwithstanding, jurors don't necessarily start out with that innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And I don't like the Tennessee pattern jury instructions. Oh, I've been fighting. I've been fighting on them. So I, I went and pulled the Sixth Circuit federal jurist, and, and theirs is so much more plain language that anybody can understand. Yeah. I read the Tennessee pattern jury instructions, and I'm like, I have a law degree. I don't know what that means. Right. And at, here's here's a wrinkle that I've been fighting for at least 25 years, and I keep losing, but I'm going to keep fighting it. Um, this is, pertains to a self-defense case. In a self-defense case where the defendant has raised sufficient proof to get the instruction, to get the self-defense instruction, the verdict form doesn't have a place for the verdict for the jury to arrive at the conclusion that the defendant is not guilty by reason of self-defense. They have to go through every single charge and find the defendant not guilty to get to the generic not guilty at the bottom. Yeah. And my main, I, I maintain and I've lost this in the Court of Criminal Appeals twice, but I'm going to keep fighting it because I think I'm right. I maintain that when the judge instructs a jury in a self-defense case, that the instructions should have, under the order of consideration, the instructions should have, do you find the defendant acted in self-defense pursuant to this instruction? If so, stop. Not guilty. And the verdict form should have not guilty by reason of self-defense at the top. Instead of forcing people to go all the way through the the top count and the lesser included, and that's a little bit inside baseball, but I agree with you. The jury instructions are not necessarily helpful, particularly to the defendant. Yeah, uh, I I just don't like confusing verbiage. Right. right. If you, if you're going to use if if it's good enough for the feds, it's good enough for us too. I don't mm. think that would. I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that in every case, but I'm just right. saying that. You, why can't we have a universal one that's if it's so simple, it's one standard, all right? You know, right. Either he's guilty or not guilty, but let's use language that, uh, I mean, because you're, you're going to have a, you might have a dentist on your jury. You might have a, a guy who works at a convenience store. You might have right. a construction What worker. you're not going to have is a lawyer. Uh, well, you Probably. Actually, I actually have had a lawyer on one of my Did you run out of peremptories? <laughs> no. Or did you just know him and like him? No, I didn't know him, but he was a retired lawyer, and I had a technical argument. So Okay. Sometimes you I, needed an expert uh, in the room. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and somehow he didn't get struck. Yeah. So for people that don't know, um, uh, a both sides can throw a certain number of lawyer, uh, a certain number of jurors off the jury for no reason at all. Um, okay, so you have... Um, we were talking yesterday about, uh, about sometimes having difficult clients and in criminal <laughs> cases, because the stakes are so high, um, sometimes the clients wind up unhappy. And this is, if you've practiced law, if you've practiced criminal law for a month, then you've had this happen. Yes. So, 
um, you want to share what we were talking about or just generically discuss I, I, the idea? I, I will discuss it. Now, I, I will say one time I had a client who was so ecstatic, he gave me a bonus <laughs> once. All right. All right. Yeah, okay. Good for him. So so that there there is that rare ray of hope right. that you will be appreciated. Where no, you did your job and a, and someone says, you know what, I value that it, more than what I paid. <laughs> and and my father told me when I got in this practice, be careful of exceeding expectations. All right. And and, and I didn't understand that. You know, I was a gung ho zealot you right. know, out there fighting the cause, you know. Um Defender of the faith. I think my first DUI client who had to go serve was this very nice older woman. But she, when it came time to turn herself in, she said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. So that now, end well. now I would have said whatever. Then I drove over to her house. I picked her up. And I took her. I drove <laughs> to the jail because I was like, I don't want this to reflect on me. You right. Know? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, so I, was, it's, I was a young attorney. So it's Kendall White's law office and Uber service. And, yeah. And Uber. Yeah. Um, so... You get a difficult client, you know, they, you see the charges. You also see either if it's in sessions, what's going to be charged. Like what's the writing right. on the wall. Right. You if know, it goes through the grand jury, they're going to tack this, this, and this on it. Or, or they're just going to upgrade it. Like, right. Yeah. So if, if you have a history of domestic assault against a certain victim yep. and then you pick up another offense, well, it's a felony with yep. a 90 day minimum jail time. Well, if you get that, then, but if the DA doesn't ca- the police officers don't usually catch something like that. They'll just book you as a standard uh right domestic they're just glad to have gotten you in cuffs and gotten yeah. out of the house without getting stabbed and, and they hate domestics anyway right that's what i'm saying you know yeah, especially it's when, dangerous and and no good deed goes unpunished exactly so you know then you know if you have experience with a da you walk in you're like i know you look for these factors i know you look for that however i've got this this and this and then there's something called a retirement right where um if it looks like the victim's not going to prosecute but the the client could use some counseling or some alcohol or, a way to make the world a better place yeah and make this person better and hopefully keep them from repeating the same mistake um then, the, then sometimes the district attorney on a misdemeanor will offer something like that um and if you have a history of fighting tooth and nail against that prosecutor and they know how hard it's going to be for them to get a conviction sometimes they just yield and say you know what we'll just do the retirement <laughs> okay um you got them well trained not necessarily. I mean, it's just you got to imagine. I mean, it's every lawyer. You got to learn how to. You have to look you, at your case. And well, you got to have cre- when you when you try to do that, you have to have credibility. Yeah, right? you have to. You can't just go in there and be a jackass about every single case. I'm never. I'm never. I, I never try to. I've lost my temper a couple times with a few certain DAs, but by and large, I always try and win them over with sugar first. Right. They know I'm not afraid to go in that courtroom and, and swing punches with them, but at the same time. They got a job to do. I got a job to do. Right. Let's just try and get this worked out. Right. Let's make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so sometimes you get people results, and those results inv- involve the def- the client, the defendant, uh, making a plea bargain or making a deal that yeah. may or may not be a plea of guilty, but it sometimes requires them to do things or to suffer some consequence. And my experience has been that up until the moment that they make the deal, you can remind them that if they don't want to make the deal, that's fine. You'll try the case. But the, the consequences of trying the case and losing involve one, two, three, four, five. You know, it could be jail, could be fines, could be probation, all kinds of, all kinds of things that 
some of which you are hopefully avoiding if you make the deal. But the minute they make the deal, they forget all about the reasons that they made the deal, and all they want to focus on is the things they didn't get or how they really, you know, it wasn't fair or something like that. Well, I love sending, I love sending the, the post-plea client who, who texts me and says that I, I butchered, I, I, not butchered, but I forced them into taking a deal and right. so forth. And then I'll send them the text message, are you sure you want to take this deal? You know, the, the, the right. record of the text message was, are you sure you want to take this? Because right. I can beat this charge. Right. I'm, I'm very confident that you, right. you, I can beat this charge either right. in a hearing. And they're like, and, and they say, no, I'm ready to have it over with. Right. So, I mean, the, the, that's the other problem is I think there's so many conflict averse people out there, you know, who get in trouble. And then they just don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to well, get in Well, it's fight. scary to have the state of Tennessee versus you. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're bringing to bear multiple witnesses, cops, DAs, investigators, money, drug tests, you know, lab results, all kind, you know, videos, all kinds of things like that. It's terrifying to have all that stacked up against you and sometimes the best way out of it appears to be to cut your losses and make a deal, but um and I and I understand that, but what kind of is sometimes disappointing is when they've forgotten all about the the facts <laughs> that right oh, like oh, like oh, like yeah. n- neither uh-huh. of us I feel confident saying has ever twisted someone's arms to make a deal that was somehow completely inconsistent with the set of facts that might be proven if you went to trial. Yeah, you know, I love it's it's not usually my client that does that. It's usually a spouse or a right. parent who Someone, looks at, yeah. and you know, you've been fighting the good fight and you've been saying, Hey, look, I think we can get this. I'm not guaranteeing this. This is the range of what we're probably gonna get, but we always shoot for the moon. Um and see if we can get it, you know, dismissed or retired or, or anything, you know, or lesser included, you know, something drop pled down. But you know, sometimes you have to turn to them and be like now remember, you were still driving drunk down a <laughs> yes. road. Let's don't you know? forget. Let's don't forget some central facts. You sideswiped a minivan with right. kids in it. You right. know? I mean, like let's let's not forget the fact right. that you did something stupid. They found you slumped over the wheel <laughs> yeah. with the engine running at a stoplight. Half empty bottle of Jack yeah. Daniels. Let's and then, don't forget. Yeah, and then you vomited on the officer. Right. right? Let's <laughs> don't. Yeah, take me to jail. I'm drunk. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's don't forget some of the facts here. So. Yeah, it turns out that most outcomes are largely driven by facts. Yeah, and I think the facts are important. It is funny, though, because when you travel around to different counties, um, I've had uh, other people tell me, like, I'm not here to talk about the facts. I'm here to negotiate. And I'm like, well, generally, we outline the facts we agree (laughs) on, and then we look at the law. Right, we can't really divorce the facts from the negotiation. But that's a novel approach. I'll see how that works. Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't working well for him. No, no. Mm. I was like, well, if we're doing facts, we might as well do it in front of the judge. So. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, every in every single criminal case, the last conversation I have with the client before I turn in the paperwork and go to the podium is, I will try this case. I will have this hearing. I will cross-examine the witnesses. I will put you on the stand and let you tell your story. I will be happy to do all of that. I've been paid to do it. This is your decision. These are the, this is my best advice is that the deal is imperfect or I love the deal. You, you really should, you, 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 it'd be really big mistake to, to turn this down. Or maybe it's, Hey man, I I hate this for you, but you know, you've told me that you definitely can't 
go to jail for 30 days without your life coming completely unglued. And this is a chance to resolve it without that. So like I, but I always remind them it's your choice. I need you to make a decision. I'll give you all the best information I can to help you make that decision, but it is your choice. And then of course at the plea, the judge asks them, right? So you could send them the text that they, where you said it, where you said, are you sure you want to do this? And then you could play them the tape where they stood in front of the judge and said, yep, my choice. And, and I, I do appreciate judges helping us out there at the end of a plea and walking through all those steps right. and saying, did your lawyer do this? Right. Yes. Did you know? And because- well, they don't really do that for us, but yeah, it, 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 it turns out to be, um, turns out to be convenient sometimes. So, uh, all right. So you have, you have lately gotten into, um, a bit of an ongoing, um, let's say, um, contest with the local uh, police and uh, prosecutors about this issue of search warrants. Yes. Yes, and not just this, not just this district, but many Elsewhere, districts. Right. Yeah. So, um, of course, the you know the right uh, the the search warrant issue emanates from the Constitution, both state and federal, and it's um, let's say it's fairly important. To our whole system of justice, right? Yes. All right. So um, most people can say roughly what the Fourth Amendment says about search and seizures, unreasonable search and seizures of their persons and papers and so on and so forth. But it turns out that there's some details that that uh, that go along with that. Like the, the Constitution was not sufficiently clear on how to actually make the Constitution, the constitutional guarantees work. So they wrote some rules, and they put them in the book. I'm holding the Tennessee court rules. Rule 41. Um, what is the what is the nature of this um, controversy that you've been working on? Um, how did it get to be the way that it is? And kind of help us walk through w- w- the argument that you've been making and and what you've been seeing happen. So I started looking at search. I mean, I noticed. And early on, that search warrants seemed to be very necessary and very credited by the courts. So that naturally, I knew that if I wanted to be a better lawyer, I had to start attacking them, because there's, you know, either whether it's the basis for them or anything else like that. This is, I think, part of the area that when clients come to us and they go, "Isn't there some loophole?" This is, I think, what they have in mind. Yes. Now, I don't call it a loophole. I call it a constitutional amendment or a rule of procedure or a statute or something like that. But but I think that's what they have in mind when they say, can't you find some loophole? Well, if you look in essence at any time somebody's in front of the court in a criminal case, it's the state saying you're not following the rules. Right. Right. <laughs> so then you turn around and you look at the state and you go, well, you're not following the rules either. Right. <laughs> and you're supposed to be trained in these rules. Right. And you're supposed to have specific training. And it's not hard. They literally wrote out in 41C3D, I believe, the exact way to endorse a search warrant. Uh, D, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, C. It's C. Well, whatever it is. It's Yeah. It says, I'll read it. Uh, the The magistrate shall endorse on the search warrant the hour, date, and name of the officer to whom the warrant was delivered for execution. Now, let's, okay, so let's lay the context here for a little bit. Um, For a while now, for some number of years now, this search warrant issue has been 
has just exploded in importance and relevance because they are now getting search warrants to draw your blood involuntarily in driving under the influence cases. Yes. So when we say search warrants, we're not just talking about kicking down your door and looking for drugs or, you know, searching your car on the side of the road kind of thing. We're talking about getting into your blood. And this one, this part too, we were talking about this yesterday, also explosive and maybe even more invasive is getting into your phone or your iPad or your computer. Any technology. Right. Any kind of technology where at some point they're not investigating a specific crime. They are now just investigating a person. And, and back to the blood draw. Okay. Right? So let's talk what, about that what, for a second. What, well, and on a side note, what drives me nuts is if you've read Birchfield versus North Dakota. They took four different cases from around the country, took it to the Supreme Court of the United States, and the Supreme Court determined that you can compel somebody as an effort to preserve evidence to take a breath test Okay, without a warrant. You get there, you have probable cause, you can make somebody take a breath test. And if they say no, what's the penalty? Uh that well, implied consent, they can do a civil charge. They can't do a criminal right. charge. Right, so you lose your license you for lose a period your of license. time. Okay. However, everybody, and especially in Williamson, only does blood draws. Right. They, they, I, I haven't seen a breath test in years. Not here. No. Now elsewhere, maybe. But Davidson still does it. Rutherford still does it. Some. But mostly, and the troopers used to do it, but they don't seem to do it anymore. Williamson County, it's blood only, and it's been that way for years. Yeah. If they arrest you, they're taking you to the hospital first. And, and you can't elect to take breath or blood. No, they just they they run get they they run get the warrant for your blood, take you to the hospital. And that concerns me because it seems like it's becoming more routine to get a warrant um, for blood. You know, it, not that I'm upset about them getting the warrants, but that it's becoming a routine system between the officer and the magistrate. Right. It's like it's like check check mark meaningless administrative menial task as opposed to pause and consider what we're really doing here we are we are literally strapping a man or woman down and withdrawing bodily fluids from them for the sake of putting them in jail yes for two days yes for two days yes and and (laughs) saddling them with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of penalties and obligations um all of which is the minimum right like the two days is a minimum. It could be much more than that, depending upon the facts of the case, the blood alcohol content, or the conduct of the defendant following the the conviction. And we're not just talking about the ones where the guy is blasted, a .25 or right. .3. You know, some of these guys who are getting blood... T- oh, Williamson County had a streak where... One officer wrote, I think, oh, got blood on four or five people who didn't have any alcohol. You know, I, I had, it was a strange run. I had about, um, and, and Tristan, who used to prosecute the DUIs in Sessions Court, I have a we've string. Met. Of, yeah, we've met. <laughs> <laughs> I have a string of text messages from Tristan where a few days before a particular appearance in court on a DUI with a client, I would text him. I'd say, hey, do you have the blood on that? And he'd send me back a screenshot of the lab test and geez it went like 12 or 15 in a row where my clients had 0. 0.25 0. 0.28 0. 0.31 i mean it, it was just obscene yeah. how many like three times the the presumptive level of intoxication i had in a row um but and and those bothered me because you know there's these are people that have made poor choices right um but lately i've had several people this troubles me more I've had a number of clients 
call me and they say, I was arrested for DUI. I was stone cold sober. And I'm like, wow. You know, I, I'm a little jaded at this point. I'm like, yeah, okay. Probably, two two probably, beers. Probably lying. Right. Two <laughs> beers. All right. How many did you have? Two beers, whatever. And I have had a number of people who got hooked up, cuffed, strapped down, blood drawn, taken to jail, bonded out, paid me, and now faced with state versus you individual. And weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks go by with this hanging over their head. And it comes back point zero. Yeah. Now, tell me how that many times they're wrong, where they're arresting people on the side of the road and strapping them down and drawing their blood and coming up with nothing. Well, but that's the more the more disturbing part to me is that anytime I go into a hearing, the DA looks at the officer and says, based on your training and experience. Right. And the court gives them automatic quasi expert status. Yes. All right. Now. Some of those officers are experts. Some of those okay. officers have taken multitudes of classes. They've done a thousand arrests. If they came to arrest me, I'd say, yeah, you probably got some good stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> I've had officers who literally could guess within a tenth yeah. or a hundredth what the blood alcohol was going to be. And they'd be very close very frequently. Oh, yeah. Right? Like the ones who've been on the road a long time, um, you know, they'd say, "I'm a, man, I don't have the blood work back, but I'm going to say that's a point one five and. Yeah, sure enough. But <laughs> but that's the exception. Yeah. What it troubles me deeply that a number that I've had these clients, I, I can think of five right off the top of my head, where ultimately the charges were literally dismissed because they had no proof of intoxication when the blood work came back. And it's so in a sense, the fact that they were strapped down and had their blood drawn involuntarily uh, turned out to be helpful. But why were they there? Yeah, but how many X numbers of thousands of dollars later did that happen? Not only that, but how did the officer get so off track that they took someone to jail under suspicion of driving under the influence of alcohol and there was none? None! And I helped another lawyer recently who had one. woman was parked on the side of the road. Or, Well, if we're going to go down that rabbit hole, we need to go to the one of how come I can't sleep in my car anymore? Right. You know, if I... you know, there's supposed to be some sort of balance there where, like, if they knock on my window, I kind of wake up, wave at them, and go back to sleep. But instead, they demand that I get out of the car. And that's still somehow seen as community caretaking instead right. of it being an arrest. Right. Yeah. Maybe cite me for trespass or public intox. But, well, it, it, it does bother me. So in these cases that you've, that you've, that have gotten on your radar and that you've been arguing about, the, let me see if I understand the facts right generally. So it to basically, and, and I'll editorialize a little bit, but basically what happens is, and they fixed it now, I guess, but, but for a long time, basically, if you got arrested for a DUI in Williamson County, they'd put you in the car and they'd run you out to the jail and they'd walk, the police officer would walk up to a computer terminal with a password taped over the, the computer monitor available for anyone, me, you, or anyone who would have the, uh, who would walk in and touch the thing? Now they wouldn't have let you or me do it, but I get, I guess. But anyone could have. Because if somebody the, vouched for us, they would. Right, according the password, to the testimony yesterday. Right, the password was taped to the monitor. They would walk up, enter the password, type in whatever they typed in, including their name, I guess. Uh, hit print, take it to the magistrate. And the magistrate would sign it and turn it around to them, and yep. then they would take that person and that piece of paper over to the hospital, and if necessary, strap them down and draw blood. Yes. In in a number of cases, 
the magistrate did not write the name of the officer to whom the warrant was issued, which matters because the rules also require that it be that officer that executes the warrant. Yes. So, and, and there was, so there was inconsistency in how they were doing it. Sometimes the magistrate would write the name of the officer. Sometimes the magistrate would not. Sometimes the magistrate didn't bother confirming the identity of the police officer. It was just, oh, he's got a name tag that says the same thing as the warrant that he just filled out himself. Um, or sometimes they might have been briefly introduced. Hey, this is a new off. Hey, magistrate so-and-so. And keeping in mind, this is happening basically through a window. Um, no, they're allowed back there. Okay, oh, they but, were. but I mean, it's yeah. it's it's happening at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, it's it's a lot of happening. these magistrates' second jobs, right? You know. Or they, I mean, so they may be new. There's what there's there's hundreds and hundreds of of officers between the combined police departments, sheriff's offices, and and so on. Oh, yeah. There's hundreds of officers that might be making arrests, going out search, seeking a search warrant for blood. Oh yeah, and a magistrate might be new. How long is it going to take if you're not new to meet every single officer and become familiar enough with them to name them, or to know whether they're full of it or not? Right. So one one wonders how many times a magistrate declined <laughs> to issue a warrant. Um, but good luck proving that. Let's just guess the answer is never. Um, uh, really? No, I don't know. I mean, I. I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I do at the same time think that once you start breeding that familiarity with somebody, once you've made it, once you've made it convenient and easy and automated, as even as you as your motion was denied, the court acknowledged that it was a dangerous practice. It was, and, and but you got to also remember the emotional factors there. And the the closer you are with somebody, the more your friends, the less you're going to scrutinize what they're the doing. Le- yeah, the less scrutiny is going to be there because you're like, oh, it's. It's Bill. Right. Hey, hey, come on, Bill. I'll sign that for you. Right. So, all right. So the, 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 the procedure for years was officer walks in with someone in the car, fills out a form on a computer, prints it, hands it to the magistrate. The magistrate, I'm going to guess, always signed it. You don't have to endorse that idea, but I will. The magistrate seldom, if ever, turned down a, a request, and off they went to get the blood drawn. Now, the problem is that... This inconsistency, your argument was, does not satisfy Rule 41 and therefore is unconstitutional. Yes. And so you've had this fight with the district attorney here in Williamson County and elsewhere. And um, I I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but um, basically on the fight that you've been fighting in Williamson County, the court has now ruled um, that... Close enough. Yes. <laughs> Good enough. Well, the the officer said, I mean, the, not the officer. The judge said that because the officer and the um, magistrate were so familiar with each other that even though the magistrate couldn't remember anything from that day, couldn't remember, you know, if there was multiple officers there or any other situation that could help us analyze the facts of that case. Um, because he's done thousands. Couldn't say on personal knowledge that he had actually seen the guy. Well, but he also left at the point that he said, uh, but he was absolutely sure that that officer was in front of him, but yet no, no other basis other than he's sure because he knows him. Okay. So the, the judge 
and good judge. Yeah, good let's judge. be clear. Yeah, good no, judge. Very. I, I was excited when I got this judge because he always he'll read everything you put in front of him, right? And he will he will make the state prove its case. He will make the state prove his case, and he's extremely intelligent. Oh yeah, he's smarter than I am. I know that. Oh, so, um, so you get so so you're there on a, a DUI. Mm-hmm. You're making this constitutional procedural argument on behalf of your client. You expose my word. You expose this court's word dangerous practice mm-hmm. um and notwithstanding all that notwithstanding the fact that it was done for years done let's say wrong um and the proof that it was done wrong to me is that they now do it differently um and i know we can't use that in court but like common sense says if you fixed it you must have you must be acknowledging that it wasn't good enough yeah Notwithstanding all that, your motion to suppress is denied. Your client now faces trial, I guess. Trial or... Uh, or plea. Plea or, I mean, we might... I mean, I'm, I'm going to file a request for a Rule 9 appeal. All right, so you'd like to get that reviewed by the Court of Appeals before your client has well, to make the choice to plead or try the case. Well, I think it's... Uh, one, I think it's technically... It might be an issue of first impression. Rule 41 has been challenged before in similar issues, but you really have three cornerstone cases in Tennessee. You have State v. Armstrong, State v. Bobadilla, and then State v. Steverson. All right, now this one most closely resembles Armstrong. Armstrong was actually upheld um, because instead of the officer filling out his name in a separate area and coming over, as he walked up to the magistrate, he just wrote his name in there in front of the magistrate, almost like a notary or something, and they said that was good enough, right? Because the magistrate saw the officer write the name in there. It was essentially like he was doing it himself. It just, you know, it was kind of a key but it, convenience. But, but I mean, okay, so so as another one of our good judges in Williamson County used to, tra- when he trained me, I would go to see him and he would say to me, I would present with him where I was stuck. And he would turn and pick up the book and he would say, well, Dana, what does the rule say? <laughs> so rule, the rule on search and seizure and search warrants says the magistrate shall endorse on the search warrant the hour, date, and name of the officer to whom the warrant was delivered for execution. Not the officer shall write his name. Nope. And I guess we'll have to figure out what endorse means. Does endorse mean he types it into a computer that then prints it? So if you look at like the dictionary, I believe endorse has multiple definitions, but it involves a signature almost always. I believe it can also... Uh, some sort of ratification. So had, had like he initial, he had initialed next to the name or something. I but think. it doesn't mean use this software provided for the convenience of the arresting officers to type your name, which will then be printed on the search warrant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it essentially reduces it to like an Amazon order, like the click here. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that is, that is a depressing view of what the well, fourth amendment. If means. the endorsement is just a signature, then why don't they just print the time out too? Right, you know what? Why bother? Why bother at all? Right. What, the, if the rule, if the rule is collapsed to mean the magistrate just has to sign it on the blank line for the magistrate, then the rule should say that. And I mean, I think traditionally, and I, I don't remember exactly the rule, but I think the magistrate's actually the one who's supposed to type up the affidavit, not the officer. I think the officer's supposed to come and swear and give live testimony. Then that's why they've. You know, with the, even with the digital, they have to look the uh, judge or the magistrate in the eye through the digital software and right. tell them the facts that can then be reduced to writing. So, because I mean, it's a lot different to sit in there and say, I swear 
I saw Dana McClendon do this, this, and this, so I believe that Dana McClendon right. should be charged with X, Y, and Z instead of me just writing it out and handing it to somebody. I swear it's true. Yeah, there's a difference, and it matters. There's a, there's a huge. That's why we. Uh, that's why we love to get witnesses on the stand. Right. Let all those little little secrets come bubbling up to the right. surface. It's, that's what we do. Ferret ferret out those details that matter. Yeah. All right. So, um, in this case, the client stands. He, he, what you, for for people following along at home, um, as a result of this systemic um, process that you believe was fatally flawed. Dozens of warrants were issued differently than others, but dozens of them were issued without a magistrate endorsing the name of the officer. And if if endorsement means the magistrate has to write the name. Well, and it's interesting because some of the other magistrates, and I submitted these along with... Always did it th- that way. Yeah, they, they, they just kept writing the name up there. I mean, it was printed out so you could read it. But they would literally write the they name above the, the computer-generated... Or next to it or below right. it, but somewhere on One there, wonders why, right? Yeah, hey. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, so you get to this pattern of like, well, some are still doing it, but others aren't doing it, and they're right. saying it's a policy not And in your case, it was a relatively new magistrate that was not. Yes, he was fairly new. Okay. And, no, I mean, no disrespect to him, but... He's learning the ropes. Right. You know, but you figured... Rule forty one was very simple. It tells you exactly what you got to do to make right. this warrant work. And 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 um, he had one job, <laughs> right? This guy is not sit. He's sitting in the jail, but he is not responsible for transporting prisoners, keeping peace, no, uh, securing the premises. He is literally sitting there waiting on officers to walk up and ask for a warrant. Yes, that's it. That's what he's doing all day. Well, for his entire shift, whatever night day. Yeah. Yeah. No. One job. One job. You would think Rule 41 might have come up. I think he signs the arrest warrants, too, though. But. Oh, okay. Same thing. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Sign warrants. So, and... Make sure they're right, because it turns out search warrants matter. They, they do. You know, um, I don't think anybody who's never been arrested or searched or anything else nearly knows how invasive that is yeah uh, ernie williams used to say that everybody loves justice till they get a little dose <laughs> i like ernie too right so rest in um, peace right so um all right so procedurally what's happened is um your client got arrested for dui you 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 discover this potentially fatal and unconstitutional process this problem you bring it to the court's attention the court says thanks for letting us know we're going to fix that going forward mm-hmm um, it's a dangerous practice. Um, let's make sure we don't see this again, but notwithstanding, um, still going to deny your motion to suppress, which would have thrown out the blood, which would have crippled the case. Yes. Um, uh, maybe it may, may not have, I don't know the other facts of your case, but it may or may not have meant the end of the case, but without the blood, it would have been a different case. Well, jurors always want to know what the blood was. They want to see the video and they want to, they want to, uh, they want to know what the blood work was. Yeah. Those two things. I mean, probably would have been reduced at that point. I doubt it would be dismissed. There was enough other factors there. Okay. That I mean, there's enough facts that he should probably have to plead to something. Okay. Um, however, it, it's a big game changer. You know, uh, right. the DUI is the misdemeanor felony. DUI and domestics are now the misdemeanor felonies. You can never have them removed you from the record. And the DUI triggers ongoing ex- additional expense for insurance um, SR twenty two insurance. Yeah, is not you are cheap. gonna you're yeah. gonna be by you are gonna be quote rated for insurance purposes for a long time. A DUI 
a DUI conviction, if you walk in, plead guilty with no lawyer, the ramifications of a DUI are probably at least ten grand. Uh, yeah. Over time. Yeah. No. Measured no, over yeah. the time that you will have the court costs, the 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 probation fees, the 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 insurance premium adjustments, and all that. You're probably the looking interlock. at the interlock. You're probably looking at at least ten grand over several years. Yeah. If you walk in and plead guilty and don't pay a lawyer at all. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in a, uh, I'm going to do a video on this on my YouTube channel, but, um, I've heard people say, well, hell I'm guilty. Do I need a lawyer? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So, um, uh, for example, why? What if you'd won that you motion get, to suppress? What if I'd won that motion to suppress is one reason. But but think about it this way. You get a piece of paper that says you've done something. Mm-hmm. All right? And I say it like that because I've had clients come in and go, they say, I've done it. Yep. And yeah. I'm like, well, oh, great. I'm glad they said you did it. But what what is what what is your expectation of what needs to happen? Right. Well, I'm just going to – I just want you to help me plead guilty and, and, you know, minimize my sentence. And I'm like, well, but you don't even know – I mean, are all these facts true? And they're like, well, I mean, some of them. And it's like, well, most, some of them, most, kinda, most mostly, yeah, some okay. kind of, you know, um, and, and sometimes it takes a good, it's a good idea to take a deeper look. You know, I'm not saying that you will necessarily get a better deal with a lawyer, but you can at least have the insurance to know that it's taking a plea is a good idea well, because you're, otherwise you're going to go down a rabbit hole of, I think, I think th- this is where I say to people, well, there's a big difference between a guilty conscience and guilty. Yeah. Right. Like. You may have some. You may have a guilty conscience over your conduct yeah. or misconduct, but that doesn't mean that they can make you guilty at court. And yeah. that's my job. Yeah, feel feel however you want to feel, but let's don't just walk in and and throw away the chance to not be to be not guilty. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, but I mean, think about it. If, if you if you spend a couple grand and somehow get get off. Right, you've you've paid a penalty. All right, yes, you, you you have paid a penalty because you did something wrong, but you essentially paid a large fine. That's right. And I've looked at DAs and said, "Hey, you, I don't think you can win this case. And here's some things you may not have known that your investigation missed or or whatever." And the DA is kind of sitting there, and you know, you're like, "By the way, they have suffered a consequence. Yeah, they paid me. Yeah." So, like, any any issue on your part about whether or not they've been deterred from possibly doing something else, yeah, right? This the, the, this whole thing, if you just cut them loose, this whole thing's cost them 2500 or five grand or whatever. Yeah, which is a substantial amount of dollars. I mean, right. I know some people can just throw away five grand, but to a lot of people, five grand means something. Yeah, it means something to me. Yeah, I got kids too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um all right, in a in a generic DUI case, um, you said earlier that that jurors want to know what the blood count was, or the blood alcohol was. I think they also want to see the video. Um, how do you know when to tell a client, "Let's try this case"? Well, anytime I deal with a DUI, again, first thing I usually do is go blood and video. Right, um, but I. I look at things differently than other people do or mo- the non-lawyers. You know, if, if I show it to my client, they're like, wow, look how you know, I'm weaving all over the place and stuff. And I'm like, yes, 
but like there's technicalities. You're weaving within your lane. Right. You touch the fog line. You or, didn't cross it or yeah. whatever. Okay. Yeah. You're weaving, but you're in a thunderstorm. Right. You know, I mean, there's, there's different Or it's factors. Clovercroft Road. Yeah. Or Clovercroft. Yeah. Or some windy road. Right. You know, um, I had one of those. Or uh, I was watching one video and uh, the officer was driving worse than the guy who was intoxicated. Right. <laughs> I mean. Or couldn't do the FST, the field sobriety test. Couldn't do the one leg stand. Yeah. Uh, I've had that happen too. Right. I've had. Um, I've had officers fumble on their ABCs, right. you know, um, but there's always these little things that can kind of start chipping away at it. Right. And, you know, then there's also sometimes you'll hear some wildly outlandish statements from either the officers or somebody else nearby that could prejudice and you might be able to go throw out some of the video. Right. Uh, other parts of the video, like the HDN isn't recognized, so I don't believe they should be able to see that either. If, yeah. If it's not. Most DA, I've never had a DA argue with me about that. No. They just, they just cut that part out. Yeah. Of the video. The HDN is the horizontal gaze and the stigmas. It's the, it's when they wave the pen in front of your face and have you follow it back and forth with your eyes. Um, and it's not recognized as a valid uh, expert test, so it's inadmissible. Well, you know, in if I catch a click case soon enough, I always try and get the mugshot. All right. Because every, it seems like every DUI warrant says bloodshot, watery eyes, unsteady on their feet and slurred speech. That's a good tip. Right. So if the blood, if the mugshot doesn't reflect that, then, yeah. but I've joked with officers joked, half joked that every single warrant for a DUI I've ever read for almost 30 years says unsteady on his feet, smelled of alcoholic beverages about his person, bloodshot, watery eyes, slurred speech, Every single one. It's like every single one. Yeah. Every arrest that this officer's ever made the 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 criteria or the evidence that they were observing included all of them. Yeah. Come on. Well, and that's the problem is you know I watch the video and I'll listen because you know sometimes the guy comes out talking normally. Right. You know he's like, uh, hey officer, what can I do for you? Right. Do you and know why I pulled you over? No. No. Had anything to drink? Oh, I had a beer at halftime, but that was three hours ago. You know, and and then they, as soon as they hear anything about alcohol, oh, here we go, here we go. I don't even know if they smell it all the time. Uh, maybe no, I'm and now when you're when you're point three or something yes. like that, you're going to smell that, guy. right? But not everybody who rolls down the window wafts a, yeah. a, 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 a huge cloud of alcohol of beer smell. And you hear an officer say, "I just the, the, the smell was overwhelming," and it's like it's a point oh nine, man. Like, yeah, it's, come it's on, it's not even hitting the pores yet, right? So. Um, yeah, I've, I've had, uh, a number of those where I was like watching the video going, this is, you read the warrant and then you watch the video and you're like, those, those aren't the same thing. No. Those aren't the same stops. No. And then there's been some, I mean, you know, if you get a breathalyzer one, you know, a lot of officers will shave time off the 20 minutes. They've got things to do. Yeah. They don't want to sit there. So they'll do a 15 minutes. Well, that's, then that blood's out or that breath's out, yeah. you know, uh, there's, but you really learn a lot from watching the video or sometimes, you know, and even in non DUI cases, you know, I'll see the, the officer basically start searching the vehicle and say something like this is okay. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, the, maybe I'm cynical, probably not, but maybe I am, but I'm of the opinion that if the, that a point in time that the officer says, step out of the car, you, he's already decided you're being arrested. Now yeah. it's just a collection of evidence. Yeah. Now he's just going to put you through FSTs. And 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 people need to understand this. Uh, people say to people like you and me, "Oh, should I take the field sobriety tests?" Well, I don't know how to tell you. I don't, I don't know how to answer that for you. No. Um, okay, you say no. I just but, say but, no. But what if you what if you know? 
I don't know why I'm being stopped. I was speeding, but I'm not. I don't. Why am I getting out of the car? I haven't had a thing to drink. I don't even drink. You know. Okay. Well, maybe you should. I don't know. I can't answer that question uniformly, blanket t- answer. But I can tell you this: if you're doing the FSTs, the field sobriety tests, you are now co-starring in a video produced, directed, and narrated by a man who has already decided to take you to jail. So good luck with that. And I've read so many search warrants at this point that 98% of the DUI search warrants include FST performance, including HGN and everything else like that. Right. So when I talk to my clients, I'm like, do not do the FSTs. All right. So when they, cause that, then you made the officer have to make a hard choice. Right. All right. If you don't consent to anything and you haven't done the FSTs, that officer standing there looking at you saying, can I put my reputation? Can I put my name on a probable cause search warrant and a probable cause search warrant where the magistrate, if he's reading it, looks there and says, well, what, how do you do on the FSTs? Well, he didn't do the FSTs. Okay. Well, was he standing there swaying? I don't know because he sat down on the side of the road and right. refused to stand up. Right. Uh, you're, you're submitting to their and control. keeping in mind for people that, that, you know, don't do this. Um, you are not if you are the arrested person, you are not standing there with the officer talking to the magistrate going, that's not what happened. Yeah. The officer has left you in the car. You and he is in there by himself telling the magistrate what he or she uh wants to say. And 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 that's, you know, another fundamental of to be arrested and brought before the nearest magistrate doesn't seem to hold water. Oh, anymore. you'll get in front of the magistrate after your blood's been drawn. <laughs> And only for the purpose of getting a bond set. Yeah. And I don't even think they take him up there for the bond. I think it's all up to the officer to tell him. They just write it in. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. yeah. And so then you can get a POP charge, you know, um, pissing off the police. Right. Um, but yeah, no. So I, I love, I, I'll get a guy a deal on a DUI or maybe I won't, but I'll get a call from him usually six months later and he'll say, hey man, I did everything you said and I got another DUI. I go, Really? That's fascinating. How'd you get a DUI in an Uber? Right. <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you get a DUI not drinking? He goes, well, no, no. I, I mean, I got caught out there. I didn't, I, I had a little too much to drink. I was like, bro, you just got off probation. Right. Why are you driving? Why are you drinking and driving at all? But why, right. especially why are you doing yeah, it? My, you know better. Anecdotally, my observation is that, that there are two responses to people who get a DUI. Because I think if you drink at all, you could get a DUI. Yeah. You could get arrested. That's for sure. Um, because I've been the subject of a, of a bl- uh, blood alcohol test or a breath alcohol test as a sample. I, I volunteered to, uh, to be the demonstration of what happens when you drink. So I drank and tried to guess where I was. And, you know, this was part of the Citizens Police Academy. And I will tell you that my own guesswork on where I was, I was horribly wrong. Um, I thought I was... You know, I thought my objectively measurable alcohol was much lower than it turned out to be based upon how I felt. All that to say, if you drink and drive, you could get a DUI almost certainly. There are a lot of people that get a DUI charge and they never, ever, ever put themselves in a position where they even might get another one. And then there are the frequent flyers. And so there's, there's not, I haven't seen a lot of people who get one and then kind of flirt with it again they either get one and never risk it again or they get one and they are just counting off the clock until their second one i i see more of a sliding scale i think the bulk of them are one and dones like you said yeah mostly and then i'll see 
a two and done. A lot of two and dones too, because it's kind of like they that forty five days hits different. Yeah, that forty five <laughs> days hits different, and it, it kind of makes you wonder if we should have more progressive punishment. As far as like making a DUI, like a lot of states do a B misdemeanor for your first offense, mm-hmm. and instead of having to have like a yeah, interlock device, you get like a red license plate or something that tells the world you got a DUI and you get mm-hmm. public humiliation. Right. Um, and then for six months, you have to have that SR 22 insurance, yada, yada, yada. After that, you can get it expunged. Right. Um, and go about your business and go about your business. However, they still, and that's even legal here. They still keep a list of the people who've had DUIs at the police station and they can keep a track of the ones. And then if they get a second one, they get a second. So charge. we get at, I'm sure you get these phone calls all the time. So let's just run through real quick for any, for anyone that's not a lawyer, doesn't do what we do that may be listing. Um, DUI first offense, man, mandatory minimum in Tennessee is going to be two days in jail. Two days. And then no, that's, and that's not, no, that's not picking up trash. No, that's not working at the church, giving out food baskets or anything like that. That's two days in jail. You're going to get $350 fine plus court costs is going to run up to about what a grand. Just oh, court more, costs. More than that. Just like 1500 generally. Okay. So um, you're going to get probation for 11 months and 29 days. Different counties deal with that differently, but let's count on being on probation for 11 months and 29 days, meaning that if you make another mistake and get arrested again for anything, you could go back and serve still more time on the DUI. Um, and the two days was a minimum. Um, and that's if you don't have the enhanced DUI. Right now, there's also the interlock device that's going to cost you money and be on your car for a year. You're going to have a restricted driver's license. You're going to have to go get SR22 insurance, which is obscenely expensive. So this is why I'm saying, if you're convicted of a DUI, you're going to do two days in jail and spend ten grand, and and you're going to meet uh, bureaucrats and people that you never wanted to meet just to drive lawfully. Mm-hmm. Okay. Point two zero blood alcohol level. Now we're kicking up into seven day mandatory minimum. Now, sometimes, depending on where you are, you can negotiate out from under that. But two to four days is a common offer yeah. if, you're, if you're close, right? But uh, if you're if you're rounding up 0. 0.25, 0. 0.3, whatever, uh, that seven day minimum's coming. Yeah, uh, get a DUI with a kid in the car, and the statute says thirty day minimum. Yep, and that's a DUI first. So if you've got a kid in the car, even if no one's hurt, thirty day minimum. So those are DUI first offenses in Tennessee. And, and, and things like that that maybe got missed by an officer when he charged the DUI. Right. So, yeah. He they didn't fr- include they the didn't... fact that they had a kid in the car. Right. And that, that's when you tell the guy, plea. Right. You know, let's look, don't, yeah, don't let them figure it out. Don't let them figure it out. Let's get in there quick. Two days. You know, yeah. Make the deal before. You've already got one day right. down because it took you 24 hours to get bonded out. Yeah. You know. and, and I'm not, yeah, and I'm not. I'm not playing fast and loose with the rules, but sometimes it's to the defendant's advantage to keep the DA, the cop, and any potential victim from all having a conversation at the same time. Exactly. Sometimes the best thing to do with your client is to beat that, is to get ahead of that. So DUI second in Tennessee, now we're at a 45-day minimum. No, not on weekends. No, not um, go to jail, stay for 45 days. And the only exception to that is you can get, what, 20 days credit. If you do 28 days. If you do do 28 days in in a rehab, you can get 20 days credit against that jail sentence, but you still got to go do 25 days in jail. I don't know too many people whose jobs will be available to them 45 days later. I've been surprised. I've been surprised, especially with some larger companies. Well, it wasn't a client of mine, but my brother-in-law down in Houston told me a story. This guy 
came to his clients or came to his office and said, Hey, look, I've got a drug problem. You know, I've got this DUI pending. I need to do this. They said, all right, we'll give you six, we'll give you six months, still pay you. Just go get treat, go to long-term treatment. Your job will be waiting. That's an awesome employer. Oh, I know. Well, the the hard part was the 10 days later, the guy got arrested again. Yeah. And then, and and then he was done. Right. But, but he went to him and he tried to get help. And I think a lot of people are afraid to tell their employers. It's embarrassing. Right. Well, don't you think that the court deals much more um, passionately or compassionately with a person who comes in and says, I need help than a person who comes in and goes, I don't know why you're doing this to me. Depends. I mean, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen some people, and the, the problem is that some of these addicts come in and they're like, I, no, no, I just need treatment. I need treatment. And it's like, yeah, if they're trying, if they're pitching treatment to like, it's as like the softer landing. Yeah. But if someone genuinely comes well, in and says, clearly there's no arguing about whether or not I have a problem yeah. and I really want to do something about it, as opposed to coming in and being hardheaded and saying, why do you guys keep saying I'm an alcoholic? Yeah. At that point, the court's got no. I mean, what are they going to no, do? It's like, you, okay, fine, go sit in three jail. And you walk into court and you said, "I did nothing wrong." Yeah, <laughs> then then it's not going to be a good day for you, you <laughs> right. know. But if you were, you know, there was, um, I forget the case exactly, but one of the Franklin officers here stopped a guy, and he was parked a car, but he was almost at toxic levels, you know. And they took him to the hospital. They charged him because he'd been driving. I think the engine was still running, but. You know, he he came back and he said, "Man, I they saved my life." Right. You know, uh, he goes, I, "I was drinking myself to death." I've told a lot of clients that I'm like, "Listen, I, it's not my place to diagnose you or 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 judge you. I'm just going to tell you that I can help you get through the legal consequences of this situation. Um, one way or the other, they're going to the legal consequences will be over in a year. The financial consequences will be over in a few years. That." really may not be the biggest problem you have. The biggest problem you have may be that you have a substance abuse problem. And if that's true, then, you know. What can you do? Right. So, um, all right. So. um, And then generally once, once they're, once they've pled, they don't ever call you again. So it's not like you. Yeah. It's not, I mean. It's not like you can be like, are you you staying Sometimes I, yeah. Sometimes I think about like, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is. But I mean, that's really kind of not what we do. No, no, we're hired guns. Yeah. Get the get the legal problem solved and go on. I do have a couple that follow up and send you know send cards and stuff sometimes, and that's nice. But um, you know, I, again, you don't want to be a constant reminder of somebody's mistake. You know. Yeah. Well, and I, <laughs> you've probably had this happen. Uh, you ever been? You ever been like at a grocery store or somewhere, and a client, a former client, recognizes you but can't figure out why? <laughs> I had that happen. My wife and I were shopping for furniture. And this young guy was like, man, I know you. I know you. Why do I know you? And he just kept going on and on and on. I'm looking at him going, I know exactly who this kid is. He had a big bag of weed and he got it. You know, he got probation and expungement. I got him a great deal. And he's standing here in front of his boss going, why do I know you? Why do I know you? And I finally got him away from his boss. I was like, hey, man, I was your lawyer on that bag of weed. (laughs) And he was like, oh, yeah. It's like. That's why I kept saying, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't that 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 happens, but the worst is probably when you you have a client, you had a cordial relationship, nothing special about the, you know, connection or relationship you had with your client. You know, he's not gonna be a friend or something right. later. But then you're at a party, you know, and they'll either start complaining about how much they had to pay, 
you know, and they're staying all these things circuitous about what their situation was. Yeah. And you're sitting there helpless to not say anything. Man, I, well. Because I'm very careful. If they broach it, I mean, if they go full in. Yeah. Then I'm like, well, you're talking about it. So, right. So on. let's talk about it. But, but they'll just be like, man, I can't believe it was so expensive. Or, right. You know, and it, you didn't even do anything. Yeah. I could have gone in there and got that thing, got that myself. Yeah. Um, I, I was in, uh, I was way out. Cheat no, Ashland City. Yeah, Cheatham is. County. Cheatham County, and they didn't have, they they had all the defendants sitting in this one block, you know, and, and you didn't get to pull your guy aside. You just had to talk to him there, and it was a misdemeanor. It wasn't. You know, it was no big secret. But I was like, look, man, I had this client on and off for years, and I said, look, I've looked at your record. You have never once survived probation. Let's just flatten this out. I was like, I got the DA ninety days. You've already got thirty down. You've only got really like. 15 days left and right kick to flatten out. it yeah and he goes no 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 i need i need probation i need treatment i need probation. i gotta get out of here man i got bills and i had five i had five other defendants go do you have cards <laughs> right <laughs> yes <laughs> you know um but it, and you know we we got him on 30 days and 11 29 and you know he's and he violated. serving that 11 29 yes. right <laughs> so yeah, yeah i you know um i i i never try I, I always try to leave my client better off than I found them. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's the, that, that's just sort of like, and I, but the problem is, is that a lot of times they wind up on our doorstep with huge problems that they, yeah. that we can't change the facts that we can investigate. We can find more facts. Um, we can, we can dispel untrue allegations sometimes, but like, you know, we can't change the fact that like there was a big giant car accident with alcohol involved or something no. like that. Um, so I always try to leave people better off than I found them. But, man, some people are just – they're just advice resistant. And those are the ones that turn out to turn around and blame you for the situation that they created long before you found them and that you couldn't make turn out magically the way they had in mind. Well, and it's, it, the, other, the, other, the other hard client is the, ina- the one with the enabling parent. Ugh. All right. So, you know, you're like, you need to do this, this, and this, and I can guarantee you a good result. Right. And they'll maybe start one and then, you know, go through it on another one. And then there'll be time, you know, time's up and they haven't gotten anything done. Right. And they're like, well, I just, I need more time. I'm like, what are you even doing? And they're like, they're like, I don't know. Yeah. The, 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 especially in the part of the world that we live and practice in the juvenile court sometimes turns out this way where like I've had a juvenile client and I've had the parent call me. And they're like, oh, well, my son was stopped and they found marijuana on him, but it was an illegal stop. It's like, okay, all right, we can, you know, I will, um, I will definitely explore whether or not there's an illegal stop here. Um, But somehow, sometimes these parents seem completely hyper-focused on the the so-called illegal stop and not the least bit concerned about what, in fact, this illegal stop revealed, which was that their kid was out doing stupid things with stupid people at stupid times and places. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just expect, you know, it's like at some point I'm like, you know, as a parent, let's just say that somehow I can beat this stop. As a parent, don't you want to f- spend a little time thinking about what the choices your kid are making? Yes, but at the same time. I have a different family structure <laughs> than a lot of these kids do. <laughs> okay. And uh, it will be dealt with. 
Well, that's the thing, right? Like in juvenile court, the judge wants to know the parents have done more than I. I don't need to do a lot here, yeah. right? Like, I, w- I want the kid asking to go to jail, instead right? Like, of come yeah, home. right? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> hey, judge, uh, you know that bologna sandwich wasn't that bad. <laughs> judge, judge, can I? Thirty days, thirty days, just let right. him calm yeah. down, please. Yeah, <laughs> you know? don't no, I no, I don't want to go home. No. Yeah. Um, uh, well, anything else you want to cover? Um. Anything burning on your mind? Well, we did talk about that other aspect of the search warrants, the cell phone search warrants, but that could be a topic for another day. Too. Yeah, it's we pretty, could maybe. Yeah, that one might take a while. That will take a while. No, um, but okay. But just like, just like, do you have a twenty seconds of advice for someone on um, on consenting to a search, or or handing a police officer their phone with the password open? I would say don't. I would say never, 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 never especially ever. a phone because a phone. You're not thinking about all the stuff on your phone, and even if your phone was sent something and you deleted it, you know your buddy sent you an inappropriate text. You're like, oh god, I can't have my wife see that. Delete right. it. Yeah, but that still stays on there. Right, right? and they, and they don't get to just. I mean, if they're investigating a crime for, um, you know, I assaulted you, you know, but they believe that there was somebody but then else. Then they involved. see a picture of a weed. Oh yeah, then they see a picture of weed from six months ago. Well, the warrant shouldn't be that broad. Yeah, but. Yet it is, and so then now you're getting charged with other so, crimes so, back in the past. So um, I think we can agree on this. Never consent to the search. Never consent to the search. Never consent to the search of the car, the trunk, the bag, the phone, nothing. Especially if it's not your car. I, I just n- never. Yeah. I do, I, and, and be polite, right? Like, oh. I, I respectfully decline. If you've been coached by me before, and just in case you ever get in trouble, I always say, Thank you, officer. I know you have a job to do, but I'm going to I'm going to respectfully decline to uh, acquiesce to your request. Yeah, I'm not going to. I do not agree to us. Yeah, I do not agree to a search. And, and don't be seduced or sweet talked into reconsidering because that. there's nothing worse to going in there and finding out your client is the only name they remember. You know, a group of five guys gets arrested, and the only one they remember is your client because he was such a jerk to them. Oh yeah, no, don't be don't be unpleasant. Um, yeah, never consent because I've had cases that I was watching the video going, oh man, I think I might can beat. Mike can beat this one, yeah. you know, that quote loophole. And then, and then the police officers right at the moment, right at the moment, they're about to go hog wild, tearing the car apart. They look and they go, you mind if I look around in your car a little bit? No, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> dang it. There's a suitcase of crack cocaine <laughs> on your front seat. I'm what always amazed at the, at the, the fact that people have consented to a search when they know they have a huge problem sitting in the car. Oh, but when you were little and then not so much anymore, especially with the BLM movement and everything else like that. But when you were little and you were taught on how to interact with the police, it was, you know, do what the police officer tells you to do. And, and people, people are, are terrible in situations that could make them feel uncomfortable. You have to you have to decide ahead of time that you're not going to be uh, acquiescent. Not everybody is like us and sociopaths. You know, right. you ask me to do something, we're just going to say no, 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 thank you, <laughs> you know, or no, thank you. But no, thank you. But the point is, the average person is, you know, with authority in, in a police. They think somehow it's going to work out better if they wow. if they consent to the search with the product of which will hang them. Yeah. No, it, it's like they literally have nothing. And on it's you. fatal. Like the consent is fatal to all of the other so-called loopholes that we might be looking at. That's it. That and that's it. Um, except, a voluntary consent, and you're done. And I've got one case where, I'm not necessarily consent to search, but like, you know, just attacking the Miranda, just because the kid was young, intoxicated, had mental disabilities, stuff like that. 
Um, yeah, but man, that's a horrible it's, place it's, to be as it's a lawyer. It's a hard, hard battle because the judge is going to, I mean, and, and I think the threshold of whether you could validly consent or give Miranda, you know, is that you can like sequentially tell a story. So if, if they have you anywhere on there saying, well, yeah, I did that. Then Jimmy did that. Then yeah. Donnie did that. Even if it's not right. Yeah. They, they say somehow that that is the mental process that says. Is required you, to consent to, to yeah, the, make a statement. The minimum. Or, you know, you got to love the guy who walks in there and goes, I was too drunk to consent. It's like, you were driving. <laughs> right. Just, <laughs> uh, so if you can, if you take nothing else away from the discussion that we have had today, it should be this. Do not consent to the search. Well, and, and the one other thing. Think about it this way. Every time you make them go through the procedural safeguards, there's a chance they make a mistake. Right. And if you and that gives you a chance to have a better put yourself in a better situation. Gives you some leverage. Yeah. So do not consent. Even if it's just a negotiation. Right. All right. Well, Kendall, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me, Dana. You bet. Part of what I hope I'm doing here is pulling back the curtain on the practice of law. So don't get too upset with me and Kendall talking about difficult clients. Every single lawyer I know has had a difficult client. Kendall's really zeroed in on that search warrant issue for now, and I think that's great. You know, it's the work that criminal defense lawyers do that keep not only his clients in those cases safe from government abuse, but all of us safe from government overreach, police Uh, let's say, improprieties, and uh, it just makes the system work better and generally leads to more just outcomes. So I applaud him for doing that, and I was glad to speak to him about that. This is Dana McClendon. This has been Ready for Trial. As always, if you like what I'm doing, click that subscribe button. I'm dropping new episodes every Monday. Uh, Already got several more planned. Uh, Follow me on social media, post comments. If you have anybody that you think might be a good guest, let me know. You can find me at DanaMcClendonLaw.com. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening.